This podcast is brought to you by Trivelo Coaching, where we help triathletes and cyclists like you train smarter to race faster. I'm your host, Jordan Donnelly, and on my left is former Australian Ironman champion and head coach of Trivelo Coaching, Jared Donnelly. Today's episode doesn't have a clear subject title, and that's because we're doing a bit of an ad hoc episode on a bunch of topics that we are finding really exciting at the moment. We're just finding with sport, there's so much to talk about, and we could just talk for days, which we do, and we happen to record some of them and put them into a podcast episode for an hour for hopefully your enjoyment each week. But we've got some uh, ad hoc questions that we've been getting recently, which we've been answering, and we found would be really valuable for the podcast because they're common questions, common problems, and the solutions will help you train smarter and race faster, which is always our aim. So, it's a really exciting episode for us. We're going to talk about a lot of the things that we love and we can't wait to get into it. Dad, welcome to another episode in a uh, makeshift studio, podcast studio. We're away from the Get Fast podcast studio. Uh, Welcome in. What is your gratitude for the episode? Well, it's along those lines. I'm looking forward to today's podcast uh, because there are some questions that keep cropping up and for the new listeners um, who haven't heard the answers to those questions, but for the old listeners, it's just a reminder that um, you know, this is a common theme. Uh, people are asking similar questions that you had right at the start of your journey. Um, but yeah, because um, we're out of our home environment, as we said in last week's podcast, um, my gratitude's based around that. And um, the fact that uh, I can go riding with my two sons, um, I have three sons and one daughter, but uh, that I can actually ride with two of my sons, I'm so grateful. Um, the sun shining, um, I was sitting um, in the in the first class, uh, as they call it, where I had you and Liam in front and I was just sitting behind. On a recovery day, I was pushing 80 watts and my heart rate was 90 while you two were chatting away. It was uh, the sun was shining on our backs and I took a few photos. It was great. So my gratitude is to be able to ride. Um, yeah, with and I don't get the opportunity to do that with you ever. Um, so it's great because we live in uh, different parts of uh, the, the city or suburbs or states. And and on top of that, uh, you and I actually got to do a training session to, uh, together, um, which is one of our hard intensity training sessions, uh, the VO2 session, which oh, I definitely need work on. Um, in fact, most people need work on. <laughs> um, and, you know, I'm so used to training on my own numbers alone and I don't, push people to train together but it was good to have one other person and you know you're clearly a better rider than I am um and so therefore you I wouldn't were giving, say clearly but you're giving me uh you're giving me you know between five and ten seconds start on every three minute effort or two minute effort or two and a half minute effort and the incentive for you to catch me before the end of those three minutes was huge and the incentive for me f- to not let you catch me was huge so I was worried that we would be pushing outside our range, but as it turned out, I was at the top of the range and so are you. And I've found it hard to get to the top of the range and all of a sudden I've got one other person training with me, which is enabling me to think more competitively. Um, and as I say to people, you know, stay in the range and ride to the top if you can. Um, stay in the range and ride at the bottom if you're not feeling it. But there's days where you've got you know, someone around you, as long as you're not going crazy and going way outside your range and above it, it's still a great session to do with someone. And yeah, I think that's a really important distinction to make is because we don't encourage group training, but if you can make the session work and you do plan it out properly like we did and you decide that um, these are these efforts are uh, you're, the session you're doing is on the same goal. Firstly, it's actually part of your week, so yeah, you want to do the same session. But riding together doesn't work. Uh, just doing the same session, you have to uh, stagger it out. And we've been doing that uh, our whole lives with different training groups. And you would always, you know, our local kids community when we're running together, you would always handicap everyone in the efforts. You would never make the running groups all start the same because it was just unfair. The, the fastest person was getting the least around, uh, the most amount of rest and the, the person at the back was getting the least amount of rest and expected to keep up with the same pace. So that doesn't work. And plus the, the faster people are getting incredible endorphin releases and the people who are getting left behind are going to drop off the training session and not come. And by almost handicapping the training session for every effort, it's incentive. Like, you know, I know that you're chasing me. It's incentive for me to try and stay away. It's it's a win-win. 
Absolutely. My gratitude is uh, yesterday was the winter solstice, so the shortest day of the year. And I'm so happy that that's happened already. Uh, and every day from here is just up. Every day is just getting longer and longer again, which is really nice. And it feels weird because we've still got so much winter to go. But, um, you know, in the middle of summer, when you get the summer solstice and it's the longest day of the year, you don't really think about um, our days are getting shorter now but because you, you're just enjoying summer. But I like that perspective. It gives us some hope to get back towards summer, which can't complain about now because we're in the sunshine. But. I absolutely love that you've reminded me of that because it's a turning point for me. The days are now going to get slowly longer by minutes and we've almost, you know, halfway, Mark, I hate the summer solstice because halfway <laughs> of our summer's finished. Yeah. At least I know half of our win- winter really is uh, behind us. So, awesome. What's caught your attention? There's a lot of things happening in, in uh, our favourite sports around the world. Well, I don't know where to begin, but um, I was talking to you earlier about I just can't keep up with um, with all the events that are going on and uh, you know the Tour de Suisse just finished um, on the cycling scene um, which I love to follow um, you know we've had the Tour of Romandy the Tour of Slovenia the Tour, Tour de Suisse Criterium Dauphiné the Giro um, and also one of the really important events that's happening now is the national championships in Europe so Every country is having their national road race championships and time trial. So when they get to the Tour de France, this is a tradition that the European countries, and I know a lot of the other non-European countries are doing the similar thing. Australia does it in January, mm-hmm. um, and you get to wear your national jersey for the whole season. And so it's a big thing in the Tour de France to be able to ride, you know, the French national champions jersey or, you know, for our favourite, Wout van Aert, um, mm-hmm. riding the Belgium national champions jersey. So they, they want to win that and get to the, the big event like the Tour or the Giro or um, the Welter in their national jersey. So that's that's kind of an exciting. Um, there'll be all those races in the next two weeks pre-Tour de France. Mm-hmm. Um, as well as what you were saying, you know, all the events that uh, we have the opportunity to access and all our athletes are doing, it just feels like our events are popping up left, right and centre. I could have said in my gratitude uh, exactly this um, because I always – grew up knowing exactly what job I wanted to do and it was I wanted to be a professional sportsman and all I cared about was sport and whether we were playing table tennis or badminton or marbles I just wanted to play play games and and eventually I've got a job where I'm actually following sport and it's you know I need to need to be up to speed with it I just love that it's it's uh, there's so many good events on um you know, one of our athletes, in, in looking just at the athletes we coach, um, Nick went to uh, to the US to do the World Gravel Bike Championships uh, a week ago um, against all the pros. And Nick's not a pro. He's a, a guy who works full-time. And, and here he is mixing it with Tim Decker and um, all the best pros um, in the world. And, and he was right there with them. And, and that's exciting um, that we're actually helping helping a guy uh, get to his dream. Um, uh, Georgina's going to Montreal to do the world sprint titles this coming weekend. Um, we've got guys uh, training up for the um, the Hort route. Um, Dave and Richard going to the Hort route. Uh, the Maratona Rob's going to, which is another event. There's all these events everywhere around the world that guys are preparing for. We've got guys doing um, Gold Coast Half Marathon and Marathon next week. Uh, I just keep rattling off mm. events. Mm. Um, you know, the UK Ironman is on um, in uh, Bristol, uh, which we've got a guy in. Um, Cairns has just been on. The, the Australian duathlon titles in Canberra. There's just event after event. And the Golden League is is happening right now. Um, the Diamond League, sorry, it used to be called yeah, yeah. the Golden League. <laughs> the Diamond League of, of athletics is happening. And, you know, you can add as many as you like to that list. Yeah, it is uh, it is really fun to see just the amount of things happening. It's a kind of overwhelming. It's almost like so many things were stopped with COVID and then we just weren't expecting everything to come back. And it's, it feels like it's come back with a vengeance, which is, is really nice. But like you said, there's just so many different sports. You know, we talk about triathlon where there's sprint, Olympic, 70.3 and full Ironman distant races, but that's just that's just scratching the surface of what's available. You know, all our cycling athletes are just finding events left, right and centre. We're doing a handicap race on Sunday, which we're really excited for, um, just a local club race, but there's just so much opportunity to set, test yourself and that's the fun of it. You know, you train a lot and we've trained a lot over the last two years without races and now we get to just 
try a hand at all these different things. And um, it's it's funny when you sit down and try and map out your goals because uh, we had this conversation last week. You almost there's you know when you're picking events like this and they're all kind of different sports. Suddenly you're thinking, well, am I training for five different sports here? I mean, what am I really trying to focus on? But it is really exciting. Yeah, and there's so many opportunities now. And look at I still got reminded uh, that the whole uh, I think it was the whole Jumbo Visma team had to leave the last uh, set of tours that were on um, with COVID. With COVID, yeah, and, and you just forget that it's still. Uh, it's still quite an, a significant mm. thing in the community that, you know, uh, in Australia, I think there's 40 people dying per day. Um, that was 30, it's moved to 40, and they're predicting it'll be 50. Is it per month or per day? I think it's per day. Anyway, it, it, it's t- one too many. And um, so it's not it's not going away, yet we're all living with it now and uh, things seems to be back to normal, except the infection is still worldwide um, in a in a massive way, and and you you can't take for granted that uh, everybody's immune to it. Uh, with with all of the um, vaccines are available, people are still contracting it. And oh, I just saw Sagan has had it for the third time. Mm. Pretty unlucky. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What caught my attention is a friend called me up uh, last week and said that they wanted to do a half marathon uh, and they were just going to do it solo. They just wanted to have a crack at it and tick off a goal. And then they said that the longest run they'd done so far is 11Ks um, and were asking for some advice about it. And you can imagine how that conversation went. But uh, what are your thoughts on um, <laughs> someone attempting an event uh, like a half marathon? And you could give the marathon example and the, the furthest they'd done is half the distance. You know, what, what would you say to them? Well, unfortunately, I'm just the party pooper, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> My answer is, don't do it. Mm. Um, but to be fair, if you want to do something, I just can't get around my head that you want to do something where the outcome's going to be uncomfortably awful, um, but you'll tick the box. So it's just not my way of thinking. But I, I firmly believe that people should should have a crack at whatever they want in in whatever level of preparation they've got, that's fine. So I am changing my viewpoint. Mm-hmm. Most definitely I'm changing my viewpoint, but I still don't think it's what you should do. Uh, you know, if if you want to have a crack at something, it, give yourself a chance. Like going, I always use the exam examples, going into a, an exam, you know, you know you know nothing, you're going into the exam and you know you're going to fail. What's the point of going in there? That that's how I look at it. Um, Got to give yourself some chance. And look, you might say that. Well, I've done eleven k out of twenty one as my longest run. I've given myself some chance. That's true. Mm-hmm. Um, it's better than no training. Um, so the answer is, you know, you have to be super conservative um, on the day, and 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 a whole lot of things have got to go well for you to have an enjoyable fun day out of it and I think that's the thing that I see as the biggest problem with going to something underprepared it's not fun there's no enjoyment factor it's actually agony Mm. Um, and you hate it and more likely than not you'll never do it again because it was so uncomfortably bad experience Um, or your mindset was I'll never do that to myself again I'll be prepared next time so there's two outcomes that could possibly come out of it so with those two thought processes I would say yeah have a crack that's basically how the conversation went and uh, I said a lot of a lot of people uh, have asked me this question and and ask this question all the time and I always say there's no doubt you can complete the half marathon how you do it is a totally different story i'm sure you could get through it at worst case scenario if you had to walk two and a half to three hours um or uh, in, this, in this person's case you know they can run five six minute k pace um so as a a slowest result for them would be walking or shuffling at eight ten minute k pace so i have no doubt you can do that is that what you want to do though and for some people the uh, reward of ticking off the goal, like you're saying, and saying you completed it outweighs the um, pain of suffering through it underprepared, and that's fine. And so this is the conversation you have. Um, but what is what is the goal? And that's the next question. Are you What's the purpose of you doing this? Is it just to tick it off or do you want to get fitter? And he was saying, well, no, I'm, I've been really getting into my running and I, I want to get into it properly. And 
uh, he was saying, should I do it or not? And I said, I'm not going to give you an answer to that. If you want to do it, you can do it. Here's the strategy, be super conservative, et cetera, et cetera. Um, if it was one of our athletes, we would say to them, don't do it. And he said, that's all I needed to hear. You know? <laughs> um, and he said, I want to, I want to keep running properly. And, and exactly what you're saying, if you do it and suffer so bad that you could end up injuring yourself because you're not prepared properly or, um, or you just hate it because it hurts too much, um, then that's not worth it. You know, you'd rather train properly and then have a crack at it when you feel really prepared and then you'll probably get the bug and want to be more prepared, even more prepared next time. Yeah, select the event that gives you enough time. Um, so defer it, that's all I'm saying. Absolutely. Continuing with the topic of questions, uh, we do mention erg mode a bit on this podcast and uh, now when it comes up, we just say, you know how we feel about erg mode. Uh, we don't like it. End of story. Go back and listen to old episodes. And we've had a few more comments recently across the various social media platforms saying, where do you speak about it? Why don't you like it? Because we constantly get new listeners and um, I actually struggled to find exactly where we've, we spoke about it out of all the episodes we've done. So I figured we'd just answer the question again once and for all. Um, why don't we like Erg Mode? And it's not just one answer. Um, there's a whole lot of reasons why it's it's not such a good uh, option to choose when you're training. Um, it's the number one. It's it's lazy because the actual machine is controlling your cadence, and you're just having to keep up with it. Um, so it's not teaching you good bike skills, good bike pedaling technique. Um, some would say it is teaching you that because it's forcing you to pedal higher. So that is true. Um, but it, it, you're, the machine is actually determining how you should be pedaling, and you're not. The minute you leave that machine and start to do that outside you actually are waiting for the machine to do it for you and, and all of a sudden you have to create that that good pedaling technique. So that's one aspect. The, but I suppose the main one is if you're doing a training session um, and you're using the erg mode, um, Zwift have this unfortunate um, uh, algorithm where if I said to you in the Training Peaks program that I've set for you, I want you to ride between 200 watts and 220 watts, Erg mode will sit you at 210. It'll sit you halfway between the range that we've set. It won't let you go to 200 or 220. It'll hold you at 210 unless you manipulate it yourself by reaching over to your laptop and changing the setting so you can go up or down. And that's kind of artificial, isn't it? You're having to do something to to the computer. Um, but what's the problem with sitting halfway? Well, the problem with that is you've lost the overload progressive progression um, adaptation that we're trying to search for in training. So over a three-week period, if I'm asking you to do that same session where your range is between 200 and 220 for three weeks in your training block, you will ride at 210 for three weeks, no matter how you feel. If you feel like you want to ride at 220, it won't let you unless you manually change it. So we want the freedom to ride wherever we want in the range. We want the freedom to ride at 200 if we're feeling crap today. We want the freedom to ride at 210 if we're feeling, you know, 7 out of 10. We want the feeling freedom to ride at 220 watts if we are feeling great. But the erg mode stops you from doing that. Erg mode also applies to cadence. It does exactly the same thing. If I say to you, ride at 90 to 100 RPM, erg mode at cadence on Swift will ride you at 95 RPM unless you manually change it mid, mid ride. So, so really, that's the main reason that stands out to me. And the second one is it's 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 something that that it's manipulating your, you know, it's it's pedaling for you and when you come to do outside riding that function isn't available to you so let's just keep it even though it's just an unrealistic training platform we're using let's try and keep it more real if we can so that would be the third reason so when you go outside people are lost and they pedal terribly because they're used to the machine controlling their pedaling action and they have to now generate it themselves and their body's not used to doing it. Your body will adapt to whatever you've trained at. If you've trained for two years on erg mode indoors, when you go outside, you're lost. You're literally lost because you're waiting for the machine to give you the feeling of of what you're supposed to be doing with your pedaling action. That's a really good argument, especially for the hard sessions. But for the uh, recovery sessions, I recently saw a good argument for that as well against erg mode and that was... Uh, it was comparing two graphs of a, of a cyclist who was, do, was doing a recovery ride or a zone two ride even. And the first one had them start the ride and it took them straight to erg mode and they were doing 40 minutes at zone two and then down. Um, and it looked at their heart rate and their heart rate completely spikes at the start because it's 
they really jump into it and then it's um, I think there was a steady drift there as well or something there was some just some key parts of the ride that um, didn't look great as well as the fact that it feels shocking you know the machine holding you in that when it's supposed to be a recovery ride or a zone two ride they're very close in nature um, and then there was another graph of a cyclist who does their own uh, recovery ride and they start pedaling and then they, they go right back down in watts because they're feeling crap at the start. They're probably getting rid of some lactate from yesterday's session and they increase the watts again and the graph's kind of all over the shop. And eventually after 10 or 15 minutes, they settle at a wattage that's comfortable and they sit on that. And the thing is their heart rate stays low the whole time and, and uh, remains that way and remains really steady. And they finish that session feeling really replenished, refreshed. They've got what they wanted out of it. And that's two different ways of doing a recovery session. And one rider feels really good. The other rider feels like they've just done another session because they've been forced into a wattage that might not have felt comfortable that day. And that's the whole point of a recovery day is to make you feel better, not worse. I love that point you've brought up. And um, I'm most of the times I get on my bike, the first five minutes is the most uncomfortable, whether I've got an easy day coming or whether I've got a hard day coming. And I just have this mindset every time let my legs catch up that's what i think okay i don't care if i'm riding 50 watts for five mm. minutes i'm just letting my, that sometimes you usually i'm just letting my legs catch up and then all of a sudden 10 minutes into the ride i look down and i'm now at 100 watts and my legs are i might be started at 85 rpm and now i'm spinning away at 98 100 and my legs have caught up and i'm ready to go now um, into my actual warm-up section so the point you made is so so accurate and 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 I don't know whether it's because I'm taking longer to warm up because I'm getting older, but it certainly feels like I need more time to get let my body catch up with what I'm actually aiming to do for the day. So, so hopefully that makes sense with with the erg mode. There's a key, few key things that it's just there's just something not right about letting a machine dictate what you want to do, and it takes away that freedom. And most importantly, it takes away the progressive overload which we strive for. A lot of people use the argument, I don't want to harp on this too much, but a lot of people use the argument that it's good for beginners because it forces them out of wattage and I would say the opposite. Beginners need um, to practice more pedaling properly. It's probably a more advanced person might use it to force them at a certain wattage. Again, we're not advocating for that. We would just say never use it. But um, the beginner argument to me is invalid. I think that's when a rider needs to learn the most how to ride at a certain wattage and how to practice pedaling properly. Next uh, topic is testing and we did a podcast, one of our very first ever podcast episodes. Probably don't go back and listen to it because the audio recording is horrible and <laughs> the, the topic, well, you can go back and listen if you want, but the topic is why do we test so much and we still get a lot of questions and queries about um, as a coaching group, we test way more than um, a lot of other coaching groups out there and and people are still shocked at, at how often that is. And we wanted to clear up some reasons why. Uh, and also the fact that it's um, it's not just FTP test every single time. You know, there's variation in it, but there's such value in constant field testing. You know, right from the start, I, I want to say that I do spend a fair bit of time explaining why we're testing to our new athletes. And even athletes who have been coaching for maybe six months, they still haven't changed their mindset around it. There's resistance. and and I really feel that they're thinking about it the wrong way. And and that's what my goal is, to make sure that they're understanding why we're doing it. Because once you have that mindset of this is going to be helpful to my progress, then you should embrace it, not resist it. So there's a whole lot of points that I want to go through that will enable you to understand what the purpose and goal of constantly evaluating where you're at at any particular stage of your program those words rather than saying testing yeah mean more oh test fear anxiety uh, resistance I don't want to I don't want to put myself through all of that well that's the wrong way to look at it I want to know if what I've done in the last three weeks is working so I want to continually measure myself in any way, shape, or form that I can think of. Whether it's a zone two ride where I'm trying to keep my heart rate under 136, yet the average speed for the ride, if I do exactly the same course, and I used to use this when I had no data, I use exactly the same circuit from start to finish. I can get there 30 seconds quicker with the same heart rate and be able to push higher power. There's a measurement of test of 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 how fit I'm getting, how my aerobic capacity is improving. It's not a measurement of my FTP or my running pace or my swimming per hundred meter pace. It's an actual 
it's a data point that helps me in a zone two ride. Mm-hmm. Um, another example would be if I'm doing half Ironman or Ironman race ready training phase, I want to be doing out and back 30k efforts or 40k efforts, or if it's if it's a mar- if it's an Ironman race, I might be doing 260k efforts out and back, starting at the same point and finishing at the same point, and and therefore I'm trying to see. I think I can ride at 75% of my FTP in an Ironman. In these two sessions, these two efforts, 260K efforts, am I able to ride 75% or or is 75% too high? I'm finding this out in training before race day. And if I, you know, if I have done four of those in the last seven weeks, which is what you should be doing in a race-ready phase, you will have four examples of where you sit and they may vary, the distance may vary between 120 and 160, and sometimes we do 180K as intervals, as broken up intervals. Um, and so that's a test without without it being a formal test. It's a training session. Mm-hmm. It's, your, it's your Ironman training session. But you are testing yourself to see, come race day, you can look back on that data and go, I want to ride at 190 watts for the whole 180K. That's what I want to do. Even though I tested, 178 was the best I could do, but I still want to have my race plan at 190. And you look at me going, well, that doesn't make any sense. But that's the type of response I'm getting. And I'll have to, I'll have to say, but you didn't ride at 190 for any of your training sessions. Yeah, but on race day, I'll be better. Well, no, that's not, that's not going to happen. On race day, you won't be better. And if you ride at 190, you'll walk the whole marathon. So, you know, understanding that, um, evaluating training sessions, whether it's an actual FTP test or a 10K run or a 1,500-meter swim, they're only part of, of what the testing protocol is because we're trying to measure how our progress is going at any given point uh, of any given season. So that's kind of where I want to start. Well, let's get let's clear that up straight away. So we do have formal testing weeks scheduled into the program quite regularly where, where the whole week is based around a swim time trial, a cycling time trial, and a run time trial. Or if you're just a cyclist or a runner, then it's, it's just around a cycling time trial and run time trial. And you do need less deload that week. Um, but for the triathletes, they, it's really a recovery week based around those scheduled tests. And that is an intimidating week, no doubt. Um but they are really important to have in there. And then around that, we're having all these other um, example of field tests that you're talking about where it's race simulation. And um, technically what you're saying is that every training session is a t- chance to test your numbers, which is very true. But uh, what we call these tests or race simulations is where you're really putting yourself in that race environment. And you might put your race wheels on your bike. You might put your aero helmet on. You might do a proper warm up as if it's a race. You might structure your nutrition that morning like it's race day nutrition compared to uh, just having whatever whatever fuel you need to get through the training session. So they're really important distinctions. And I guess the Summary is uh, we're just trying to make sure we're not leaving any opportunity on the table uh, because you're constantly evolving your fitness, uh, which is why the testing is so important because you do a block of training, your fitness increases, you need to do another testing week to see how far you've progressed so that your next block of training you can train to your new numbers. That's We've established that many times. Um, but even in those blocks, it gives you confidence for if if you do a, a time trial, a, a random 5K time trial off, off an endurance ride, which we throw in sometimes just to see where you're at, that can give you confidence that, well, I can run that pace off this endurance ride. Next running session, I know I can hit these numbers. I'm going to actually increase it this week, even though I tested three weeks ago. My next testing week isn't for another three weeks. You know, it's this stuff week by week. You're actually getting as much opportunity as you can to get that stimulus overload, which is going to make you become a better athlete. Unbelievable what you've just said. It, it sums up, you know, the exact main goals of, around why we're testing. And and also don't forget, you know yourself how you've trained and you are super confident, aren't you, coming into testing week if you've had a three-week block where you've nailed it and you'll be quite surprised if you don't do well in your testing week because let's face it, you want to keep improving your numbers. That's that's what our goal is. Each month, we want to make sure that we were better than the previous month, pre- better than the previous six months ago. And I always say to people when they start, the, the numbers you have today, in six months' time, you'll look back at the number you had today and you're very happy with it today, but in six months' time, you know, you could be four watts higher. You could be 14 watts higher. And in some cases, you could be 40 watts higher, depending on the entry level you come in to the program at. Um, obviously, the people who are really at the top of their game have been doing it for a long time. The gains are minimal. 
people who are new to it, the gains are maximal. Um, so you've got an idea, and this is one of the things that I think helps keep focus for people who say to me, oh, I'm really getting tired with the program because I've been doing it for such a long time. I just don't see how that's possible when you know that every single opportunity in, in the period of whether it's three weeks or four weeks, you're going to actually be measuring how you're going. So my mantra is I better pull, because I don't want to get to that testing day and have had three weeks of crap training, um, have had three weeks of inconsistent training, have had three weeks of um, not be bothered training where my mind's going, oh, I'm, I'm getting tired. Well, that's an indication where you actually shouldn't be training at all if those things are happening to you. Um, but I find it such a motivator to me that I know this is going to come up in a few weeks. I want to do everything I can to prepare. Once again, it just comes down to your own mindset. Can I prepare myself for this mini little test? And, and it's a reflection of how can I prepare myself for my A race? It's a microscope look at what happens so so if i've been sick for two of those weeks my expectation is completely different Mm -hmm. than the confident person i am when i've nailed three weeks of training if i've had an injury if there's been stuff going on i have different expectations okay my goal is to match what i did last time i have no expectation of beating it because these things have happened to me in that period and to go in with the, the the attitude that i should have improved is madness and, and that's really detrimental and you will have go, almost depression about what you're doing. The, it's funny, it's ironic that the uh, people that resist testing, uh, it becomes more of a negative feedback loop because you resist it because it's uncomfortable, because it's scary, because you get anxious and then you, you build it up too much and then every time you do it, it becomes worse because you keep putting it off and we do have athletes that, that put it off continuously and just miss the testing sessions. Um, and then what, what do you think is going to happen on race day? You know, it's this really bad negative cycle that gets you to your aid race in, in bad shape whereas the people that embrace it... Um, and do do them all and look forward to it like you're saying and, and to treat every test just as a, as a chance to practice just as a chance to feel those nerves to feel that a little bit of anxiety which we all get before um, hard efforts you do that enough times by the time you, by the time you've come to race day you've experienced so many different scenarios where one time you did a test like you said you were complete, you were sick and you had to adjust your expectations one time the warm-up didn't go to plan one time you were absolutely on fire and you nailed your numbers and by the time you get to race day you have all these experiences in your experience jar that you can draw from to make feel like you're well prepared and that's a really key uh, point but the next point i wanted to touch on was just the value of field testing in comparison because uh, we know that uh, lab testing for example is the uh, gold standard of physiological measurement Um, there's no doubt about that Um, and that is so valuable and we've discussed this uh, on the podcast a few times and we had um, Nick from S Performance come on and talk about that a few podcast episodes ago and why you know that gold standard could really give you a deep insight into what your body's doing and we know that um, the limitations of that are that uh, you can only do it at certain times throughout the year because lab testing takes more equipment and it's more expensive and it's more in a controlled environment. Um, and so you have to take that with the field tests, right? And so uh, for most people, they think field tests are um, just the time trials that we're talking about, you know, just an FTP test, but that's not all it is. You know, an FTP test gives one part of the picture. You use that FTP test to then go do a race simulation and go do a 40-kilometer time trial uh, out on the road based on the FTP test you did. And then you can use both those numbers to get a really accurate estimation of what you can do on race day. And it's the same thing with a 5K or 10K time trial off the bike. It's the same thing with a half marathon practice session. It's the same thing with a with a practice brick race. You know, you're using all these things in conjunction with your, with your time trials to get as much data as possible to give you the best outcome on race day. Yep, again, you've nailed it. And just to add to that, if the field testing is is the ultimate test, and no matter what you do indoors, lab testing or training on the on the kicker um, or, or running on a treadmill, they're not the experience you're going to have on your race day. So, so your final testing period can't be on any of those indoor stuff. Um, um, you know, it'd be good to do a lab VO2 test just prior, but you still need to test that outdoor because what are you experiencing outdoor that's different to indoor? Well, the conditions. There's there's uneven temperature where the temperature changes from the start of the race to the finish of the race. Uh, the wind, um, the terrain, the ups and downs of the hills, 
they're the three key things that you can't do in on a kicker um, in a lab. Um, so come race day, you need to have the most up-to-date outdoor testing possible. And I'm absolutely adamant that going in with a, an FTP test done on the kicker is next to useless for your upcoming um, 40K time trial or uh, 70.3 or Ironman race where you're trying to get your 75% if you're an Ironman and you're trying to get your 80 to 90% if you're a uh, half Ironman. Um, uh, you know, these are, these are numbers that are really important and if you don't do them in the, in the conditions that you're going to experience on race day, then you're going in with kind of numbers that are artificial. And, and I, I get a little bit frustrated where people go, oh, it doesn't matter where I do it. And I said, well, it actually does. And, and, you know, the next step is to be a little bit more specific is let's say we, we're using a 5K run um, as your time trial. If you just run with a tailwind for 5K, that's artificial. That's actually not going to give you uh, a real experience of what it's like to run into a headwind and run with a tailwind. And therefore, your average speed is going to be different. So your time will be faster. Just like if you run into a headwind the whole way, that's actually not helping the data that you're going to use. Just like on the bike, if you just do one direction and it happens to be a tailwind or it's semi-downhill, you know, we can't use the average speed in, in our data for race day planning. Mm. So there's so many things specific about just don't do it outside and leave it, I'm doing it outside. Do it outside properly. Um, so, you know, people think that that's a little bit too, um, uh, technical, but if you're not going to do it properly, I'm a believer, well, don't do it. And do it enough. And that comes back to the point I was saying before, it's that when you do it in all these different scenarios, you just have so much data to look at and to pull from when it gets to your race. And you How confident go. are you? Yeah. Well, well, I've done it 17 times this way. Yeah. I can, I can know that that's my base number, which leads to the next thing. It's a guide. Yeah. We're not going to stick to it from start to finish. Oh, I'm not going to – it's 18K out of a half marathon with 3K to go. I can't go outside my range. That is not what we're saying. Once you're on top of your race and you've done 12K or 14K and you're confident, you know, as you progress through the race, the risk is less. We've talked about that. At 6K out of a half marathon, the risk is quite high for you to start going, I've got this, and start running above your PB, you know, if you feel you can do that and you're happy to take a risk and the outcome could be a fail, then go for that. I want people to race and use their data as a guide. So many people are getting or misunderstanding what we're saying in our, in our coaching philosophy. It's, it's, this is to help you from, from ruining your day and then I want you to race. Once you've got control of the race, race it. You are in there to do a PB. You want to improve yourself from what you did last time. Don't be happy with staying with the same numbers you've done three or four races. Put yourself under some pressure and and try to see where or how far you can actually go compared to what you've ever done before. And that comes to the next point, which is you've probably got a whole lot of questions and I'm I'm taking a lot of time on this, but, (laughs) but execution. And we talk about testing. Why are we testing? Because we are trying to practice execution. And whether it's just a training session and you're meant to be doing three 15-minute efforts as a runner and you're supposed to run between four-minute K pace and 4.30, your execution in that range in a training session, it's not a test, it's just a training session, but you're practicing running your race pace. And the minute you look down and you're doing 3.55, you're outside the range. So you are now telling yourself, ease up. You look down and you're running 4.45, you're running too slow, need to pick it up a bit. So this is you practicing execution, not at, not in a testing protocol, but just in a training session. And of course, in our testing protocol sessions, we absolutely want to be learning how to execute. So so testing has got its really positive outcomes because we're getting data, but the key thing that people forget about testing is it's a train it's a session where you're practicing how to how to measure your effort. And that's what counts on race day. That's the big thing that people get to the end of the race going, oh, I went too hard. That's the normal answer I get. I hardly ever get, oh, I went too easy (laughs) and I had so much left. That's 1% of the people who finish an Ironman, half Ironman, you know, half marathon, you know, Nick at the Unbound, you know, it's a 300K 
gravel race. He's not going to get to the end and tell me you went too easy, you know. Mm. The, the execution practice is for you to, to know what your, your numbers are and try to stick to them. Good example, we watched a YouTube video on Dylan Johnson who also did the unbound gravel race, who's been an incredibly good athlete. This is the world championships of gravel. Um, so the very best riders in the world are here. And his best time was 11 hours 30. And he tried a new strategy where he was not going to ride like a sheep with the front pack if he found that the ride, the power he was pushing was too high. And this is a guy that's come top 10 multiple times. Yeah, race, he's come yeah. fifth. Um, and his best time was 11.30. And to summarize it very quickly, um, he didn't go with the front pack for the whole set. He dropped off. Just like we talked about with um, Christian at the Ironman yep. at the World Championships and Lionel. So there's there's now, it almost feels like I feel like we're getting our message out there, even though they've probably never heard of our podcast. <laughs> but these are the things that even the best at the highest level are saying, no, I, I know what I'm capable of. Let's not be a sheep and let's stick with, with my numbers. Um, that I know that I'm only capable of because he said he faded. He looked at his data from the 2019 was the last time I think he did it before COVID and he, I think he was 280 average power and he finished at 228 average power for the second half. So he, he faded badly. So this time he wanted to ride the same power the whole way through and the conclusion was he finished an hour and a hour and 10 minutes. I think he finished in 10 something. He did. Just broke 10. Yeah. yeah. So he finished an hour 20. Better than he did. He came when he did eleven thirty. I think he was in the top ten. This time he was twenty fifth. So his result was diff- was worse in placing. His time was an incredible PB. What do you conclude from that? I conclude that the standard is improved that much, and that's what he said. Well, I'm so happy improving an hour and twenty, but I'm just against better people now. Um, so, so that's kind of you know, an example of how execution is crucial to getting to getting the outcome. And if the standard's better on the day and you've planned your race and executed it well, you've got to be happy. Absolutely. I think uh, to clarify those numbers, I think it was 2018, he did 11.30, 2019, he did 10.40, and then this year did 9.58. So it was... And you went the wrong way for six games. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, I guess in summary, uh, you're just allowing yourself to make more informed decisions. That is the whole summary of this whole conversation. And the more informed decision you can make or you're able to make, the better you're going to perform. And I want the listeners to really take in what you just said, Dad, coming from you, who's the most competitive racer, I think I know, um, but you're so adamant about knowing all this data, yet what you're talking about when it comes to racing and, and taking the race on, uh, you, you couldn't uh, walk the walk any more than anyone. And, and the listeners need to know that it's not just robotic data following. You're just, but you are the biggest data nerd. You are trying to give yourself as much information as possible. So in a race, you know what kind of decisions you can make that will give you the best chance of success, but then you're willing to race because some people go too far the other way and they use data in training. But once they get to the actual race, they don't, they want to look at their Garmin. You know, they, Let's say, I don't want to pay attention to my numbers. I'm just going to race it. Whereas you're so not afraid to look at your numbers uh, because you can say, well, I'm in this breakaway and I'm currently holding this power. And I know that um, if I sustain this much longer, I'm not going to be able to hold it. No matter how strong mentally I think I am, it's just too far above my ability. It's ability and ambition getting confused again. Um, and so that's what we're talking about, examples of, of using the data to make really informed decisions. So, you know, in that sense, you shouldn't roll a turn again or you shouldn't stick with this pack or you need to back it off a little bit. And guess that's what we're talking about. Yeah, look, there's there's a whole lot of things in there that you've said. So, for example, if I'm in a race and I, I'm talking about cycling race as compared to a time trial or a triathlon if, or a running race, if, if I'm in a running race and the pack are running, my, my average pace for the half marathon is going to be uh, 4.30 and I'm in the pack and they're running 4.20. I, at the start of the race, will cope with that for a, a short period of time and if they continue to run at that pace, then then I will drop off and I'll go back to my pace and then try to pick it up later on. Um the reason I'm sticking with them for a short period is because they may just do that at the start and then go back to a comfortable pace. On a bike, it might be exactly the same thing. At the start of a climb, we're halfway through the race, we get to the bottom of a climb. I know a lot of the guys in the race have no idea about measuring their effort across a 5K climb. So they're all going to ride too hard at the start. So I've just got to weather the storm. And this goes a little bit against my 
right into my numbers, but this is a race situation. Again, you're making is, an informed decision. Which is which is a different scenario. So I'll ride with them till I think that they're going to slow down. And if they don't slow down, they keep the same pace, then I'll let them go and not blow up myself and live to fight another day. But but I'm not going to – if there's still, you know, two minutes left after the top of the hill to the finish, I'm going to go with them. I'm going to race and blow myself to smithereens if, if it means that's what's going to happen so I can keep up with them to give myself every chance. But if there's 40K to go, I'm, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to ride to my numbers. If I'm doing a crit race on a Thursday night, I'm not even looking at my numbers. I'm just going with the race. If I get in a breakaway – and I'm struggling a bit to, to roll turns. I can feel that anyway without looking at my numbers that I'm really struggling here. I better actually back off. And then I look down and I look, I can see I'm doing 340 watts as I roll through a turn. You know, I can only do that for, for at best, you know, six by two minutes. Um, here we are. We've got 50 minutes of the, the breakaway to go. So I've got to make decisions based on what I'm seeing, but more so what I'm feeling. So I have my race strategy, my numbers in my head, but I'm in there to race. So so yes, I'm absolutely going to do everything I can to do a better performance, but I'm not going to focus the whole time going, oh, no, I'm not going with that break because they're riding 2.5 watts above out of my range. That's not what I'm saying. I'm I'm using my numbers to my advantage and making informed decisions as as I go and and sometimes I make mistakes on that, and that's okay. Um, but then I learn from that saying, oh, I could have gone with them, it turned out, because they slowed up. You know, I let them go. I shouldn't have. I should have hung on for another 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. So, so you know, you can practice riding way above your limits in training so that you can then withstand that onslaught. And I know that at the start of a lot of those crit races, the, the, you know, when I look at the data from the race, if I've stayed with the whole race and I look at the data afterwards, this is really good to do as a cyclist, and I see the first 15 minutes I averaged 300 watts and the last 45 minutes I averaged 240. That happens almost every week. Mm-hmm. The, the pace falls away. So I've just got to know that, you know, if I'm in the race going, oh, I can't handle this for an hour, well, it didn't last an hour. It only lasted 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. So... Straight away, I'm getting information post-race about, well, I can withstand that, that you know, in the future because I've looked at other people's numbers and shown me that the race slowed down. So it gives me confidence that I just have to withstand this. And I, I say that in my coaching tactics to people. You know, the race is going to be hard early. Just hide and, and withstand the, the pressure and, and they will slow down. Yeah, we had an uh, interesting conversation. We did a, a lab test a few years ago um, with a guy and uh, he was interested that you, were, you wanted to look at your watts on your Garmin while you're doing the test because he's going, it's a max test, max test, just need to max out. And you were just you just wanted to know your numbers as you were going through until it was getting to a hard point. And then once that crossed that hard point where you're getting to your max zone, you just stop looking at numbers and then you're just giving it your all. And uh, we had a great discussion about what's was what's better there, you know, because he's saying, oh, the numbers are limiting you. When you're looking at them, you know what your, if you know your numbers well, you know what your limits are. Once you get close to them, you're already putting a perceived ceiling on your head. He's saying, if you're not looking at them, you can just go to max. And you're saying, well, no, I know my numbers really well. I know I can push myself to my max limit. Uh, once I get up there, I'll stop looking at it. And you're both right in different contexts. And this is what we're talking about. You know, you you don't want to go one way or the other. Like you always say, you don't want to be extreme one way or the other. Absolutely no data or all data-based. Um, and you've got to find what works for you. If you're someone that uh, you know you can push yourself to your limit, um, then be happy to look at the data a bit more. Whereas if you're someone that... The looking at the data scares you mid-race and you start to panic, then maybe you need to not look at it as much and focus on racing and focus on just hanging onto the wheel in front. Um, and I guess it just comes down to, you know, once it gets to that hard part of the race, you know, the numbers just stop matter- mattering at some point and it's just, that's your time to do a PB. That's your time to go further than you have before. That's your time to uh, get, get more out of your body before. That's what all the training is about. That's what all the preparation is about. That's what the whole taper phases about is in that situation to dig deeper than you do in training and in race simulation and and produce a result that you haven't produced before and that's how world records are broken that's how world championships are won that's how races are won you'd say and it really depends on the sport you know i was giving an example in cycling there um where it is a, a, a peloton a mass group of people um we could use the example of uh inca britson with his 1500 meter um, and you know you've been astounded how many people in that race still run ahead of him in the first part of the event, 
knowing that he's the fastest runner and he's behind them. You know, that's almost shocking to you because they all should be just following him and then trying to outkick him um, because he's going to run the fastest time. They're, he's run faster than all of them, yet they're in front of him at the start of the race. Wouldn't they be better off sticking with his pace? And th- this is the question, you know, how do you race that suits you? And and there's, you know, time trialling is a different kettle of fish because you're on your own on a bike um, and there's no no drafting advantage, you're, you're solo. Well, in a running race, there's pacemakers, there's sitting in behind people in wind, in the headwind, on a race bike, the same thing. There's so many things. So it depends on the event. Um, and that's why there's so much, there's never one answer. You need to have a combination of all of it, not be extreme, as you said, uh, not be just driven by data, not be just driven by no data and go by feel. All the information is there. My advice is to gather it all and you'll make better decisions about every single event you're ever going to be doing from this point onwards. You know, if you try to build a house with a free-handed drawing of a plan compared to exact details of the measurements of what wall goes where, how high the stumps are, how deep they have to be in, the thing's going to be so much better the outcome is going to be so much better of the result of that building of that house. It's no different to to you constructing your season's plan in training, um, uh, specific sessions you do, specific C races that you put into your program, so that when you come to your ultimate A race for that season and many seasons ongoing, you've, you've got all this wealth of knowledge and understanding and information about what suits you better and what's going to enable you to, to be a better athlete from what you were last time in this particular event. And, and if you don't use those things, then I think that's, you're going to be worse off. I, I think that, that has to be hit home is these things are available. Don't be lazy. Do the preparation mm. that you need and plan well and the performance will take care of itself. Uh, but if you, if you don't take any notice of anything that's going on around you, you're not normally going to be shocked at the outcome because you didn't expect that or, you know, if an example would be not knowing who your competitors are and what their strengths and weaknesses are. I could just pick a swimming event. Um, um, when we watched the uh, Olympics in, uh, in Tokyo, um, the female, I can't even think of the names because it's uh, You're talking about- the world record holder from America who – who oh, the yeah. Australian girl yeah. beat. Ariana Titmus versus um, Ledecky. Ledecky. Katie, Katie Ledecky. And Ledecky yeah. always goes out hard and burns everybody off and makes everybody try to chase her and then they all lactate and that's her tactic for the last 10 years. And Titmus didn't. She she raced her race and then came over the top of her. So there's an example of someone knowing their competitors well and racing a strategy that's going to be effective and it worked. Um, you know, Inga Britson's doing this every time he runs a, a 1500. He he stays within his lactate levels and then you know, he, he tried to do a, a pacemaker world record at the um, – the, the Yeah, the last Diamond League. Last yep. Diamond League. And he kind of – he just missed it by 0.0 something. It's a really good point. So since last podcast, since we, we spoke about the Inga Britson tactic, uh, he since did a Diamond League race where he's completely flipped his tactic and he wanted to do the mile world record, which was 346.3, or I think, 346.3. And um, he went with the pacemaker. So pacemaker went out early and Inga Britson was second within 150 metres, which he never does. But he went out hard, went behind the pacemaker and held on. And uh, he, he ran... 346.4 or something. He missed out on the um, mm. the record by 0.1 of a second, which is just so cruel. But he definitely wasn't as strong in that last 400 metres. He he uh, wasn't able to hang on, one, because he's going for a record pace. But uh, two, I do believe it's because he, he ran slightly differently and he didn't. I wonder if the pacemaker was able to run his pace at the start and then pick, it up. pick it up. It would have been a different result. We don't know. But. And as a coach, I would be saying maybe you need to practice a bit more running outside your zone. So you can, you know, Olympic Games and championships, world championships, they're never run evenly. And you need to practice uneven, unpredictable style of running. A great example of that was uh, Keely Hodgkinson, who won the silver 800 at Tokyo, young 19 or 20-year-old, absolute gun, 
all her PBs are negative splits, like you talk about. And at Tokyo, she ran an unbelievable negative split to run 156 for the 800, which was a British record. I, th- I think it was a British record. And then her coach at this same Diamond League event last week that was on, uh, her coach came on interview and said today she's running a different strategy. She's running a – she's got, trying hard to run a reverse split, so hard at the first lap, hang on the second lap. And she really struggled, and she wasn't that happy with her time. She still ran, oh, I think it was 157.9 or 158.1 or something like that, a really good time. But she, one, faded, but two, she really lacked confidence in the third 200 and uh, it was noticeable that she she was just expecting to hit a wall with 200 to go. So she stayed a little bit conservative, that third 200. And it's exactly what you're talking about. Her coach is doing what you're saying and saying, all right, let's change it up because you run really good negative splits, but you need to practice going out really hard in a race in case that happens at a world championship event. So there's not one right way. That's what I'm trying to say. You know, you shouldn't always try to be conservative. There's times where you need to actually train a different way and race a different way to suit the actual event. Um, If you're trying to qualify in your own country's national championships to get selected for the Olympics, it would be, you know, if it's a time qualification you're after or a placing, they're two different scenarios. So if they only take first and second at the national championships and nothing to do with time, then you race the race to come first or second. If they only take time and your position doesn't matter, the position will because they'll they'll absolutely take the first three who got the time. If you're fourth person who got under the qualifying time, you won't get selected anyway. But if it's a time selection thing, they have to make a decision about who they're going to select then. At least you've qualified. Mm. So you would race the race differently. You'd race it, try to get the time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's an example of all these different scenarios where you've got to actually try and adapt your strategy Um, and all your data and information that you know against what the requirements are of the race. So so I think, you know, without confusing anybody out there, you know, I'm not a believer in just data. I'm not a believer in just racing. I want to have a balance. Just like that's the philosophy I have in every single thing I'm doing. I don't want to be extreme eating. I don't want to be extreme not eating. I want to have a really good, healthy – that's why we're interviewing so many people about nutrition. Help – Help me spread the word about balance. doing things in balance. Mm. And this podcast is is first and foremost about giving people information about how to train, um, how to race, how to plan, but trying to keep it balanced because if it's all too serious and too extreme, it will get too hard, too much. It's unsustainable. I've always said that anything that's extreme, it's unsustainable. If you can, if you can eat this style of food for 25 years that's sustainable so it must be balanced coming back full circle to the original point of this this great conversation which i've really enjoyed uh we value field testing we value testing ourselves regularly uh i have seen some sports scientists online you know giving ftp tests a bit of a hard time saying you know it's not an accurate scientific measure um and our whole point of this conversation is it's just not about that you know you're looking at it so narrow-minded from a scientific view about what's what's the most accurate form of testing and their, their argument against it is that the you do your 20-minute test and you take 95% of that number to get your estimated FTP number and they just say the estimate's too wild, you know, 95% is just a standardized number. Some athletes would be 92% of that number. Some athletes would be 97 We know that. That's fine. We take that and we use that data with a whole bunch of other field tests that are super valuable and that's what we're saying and that's part of the coaching process that I think sometimes scientists miss. Um, it's not about – because when you come to race day, you know, it's, it's about – having as much data as possible to make informed decisions because you're not going to know exactly what you can do in that 40K time trial or 90K time trial or 180K time trial unless you did that exact time trial in a race, which is just so brutal to ask of someone to go do 40K time trials over and over again, one hour test, you know, to go do a 90K time trial over and over again a week out from your race, it's just not possible. So, that's where our gripe is with a bit of the rhetoric out there against it and that's why we value field tests so much. Yeah, and it has to be you know, in the natural environment and that's that's kind of – we don't want to make it artificial the whole time because there's so many other elements that come into it and, and we really got to hone that part of the testing is that, you know, the lab testing is great but you don't race in a lab. We race outside in the environment against other people. 
Well, I think we'll end up finishing there. We had a whole bunch of other questions, but uh, we got stuck on this topic for a while, which I don't mind and I hope the listeners don't mind. We hope you found it valuable. We'll have to answer a whole bunch of the other questions in another episode. Uh, I do just want to finish off by giving a shout out to, uh, in that Diamond League race last week, Ollie Hall, the Australian, mm. uh, went with Ingebrigtsen on his record attempt, just stuck on his uh, wheel, on his tail as well as he could and ended up running an oceanic record, the fastest mile ever by an Australian, 347.8 or something. It was unreal. Um, such an incredible performance. It's so good to see just the Aussie talent coming through. You know, McSwain was undoubtedly the best runner uh, out of this pack, and now Ollie Hall has just beaten his. Uh, you know, McSwain broke the Oceanic record last year. Uh, Ollie Hall has just beaten it. It's great competition. Peter Bowl at the same event um, ran a Oceanic record as well, 144 flat for 800. Uh, so he's just on fire. So all these athletes coming to real good form for the World Championships next month, as well as the Com Games. Uh, and Katrina Bissett ran in one of the most stacked 800 fields uh, World Athletics has seen probably since the Olympics um, and ran another sub two minutes, her season best, low 159s. She's just consistently put up, putting up 159s now, which was her goal. Now the next step is to break that PB of hers, get 158 and get those girls at the front. In, you know, they're running 157. So really exciting to see from an athletic perspective. Yeah, and look, you can't help when they run the mile. You can't help but think back about the four-minute mile, mm. can you, from, you know, the 1960s. Um, and how fast, 16 seconds faster than, than the boys ran, you know, in that, on that famous day when they break four minutes, 16 seconds is the length of the straight. 13, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 13 seconds, sorry. Yeah. Um, so yeah, 147. Um, so it's, you know, it's nearly the length of the straight, how far, um, that the guys who broke four minutes would be behind. Yeah, it's. It, I, I do think about that every time I watch them all. It's, it's incredible. But that's it for this episode. We hope you've enjoyed it. Thank you very much for listening as always. We've been getting always constant great feedback, whether you reply to our emails or you uh, leave a comment on YouTube or Instagram or anywhere you listen to it or on Spotify. All those comments help. So if you do like it, please go leave us a review on Spotify. That's probably the best place uh, to help our show get to more people. Thank you very much for listening and we'll see you next time.